Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Welcome to episode 82 of The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I'm your host and producer, and uh, what a great bonus episode we have for you. Yes, this is an exclusive episode, um, a paid partnership with Hertie uh, Gruten up in Svalbard. That's right, Hertie Gruten and Svalbard are going to be our guests today. They're going to be talking everything you ever need to know if you're considering a trip to the far north and uh, our friend Annika is a true West Australian that's been up there for some time so we'll be uh, introducing you to Annika in uh, just a moment or two uh, just also a quick thank you to those of you that are listening liking and subscribing uh, it is really making a big difference and helping us to uh, be a little bit more visible on the, uh, the podcast directory so thank you to each and every one of you for, for doing that as I said this is a bonus episode I really hope you enjoy it and if you like this style of uh, destination immersion do let us know contact us via the website or on the social media so uh, we can uh, look at doing more of these in 2022 if they're of interest but uh, without further ado let's jump straight into it enjoy episode 82 okay i'm super excited for our next guest uh Annika is a West Australian living, residing and working up in a very remote part of the world. I, in fact, I believe it's the, the furthest place north uh, prior to hitting the, the North Pole. Annika from Svalbard, how are you? I'm great, thanks, Baz. How are you today? Yeah, great, thank you. And uh, lovely to chat. Um, we've met in a, uh, one of my previous lives working in the, the travel industry when you were coming down to talk all about the beautiful destination that you you live and work in, but of course you are a West Australian. Um, you are from uh, not too far from where I'm recording this, but right now you're way up in the, the Northern Hemisphere. Um, before we get into you and how you got there, I thought we should probably just cover off a few things about Svalbard. And people may have heard of three different names, which kind of are synonymous with the regions. First of all, you've got Svalbard, which is the, the wider area, the archipelago. You've got Spitsbergen, which is the island or the biggest island. And then you've got Longyearbyen, which is I want to say the capital, but it's not the capital, is it? It's more of a kind of administrative centre? That's exactly what it is. It's the administrative centre for the Svalbard archipelago. 
Uh, so uh, I'm in Longyearbyen at the moment, just 1,300 k's from the North Pole, which is mm. kind of insane because it's like the distance to, I don't know, Coral Bay or something from Perth. <laughs> but um, it's uh, a tiny little town. Um, Svalbard as a whole archipelago is about the same size as Ireland, oh, yeah. but there's only about 3,000 people living here. Of those, I... all of them live on the island of Spitsbergen. And then the vast majority, about 2,400, live here in Longyearbyen. I read something somewhere that obviously Norwegians make up a huge proportion of the, the, the residents or the population. But there's actually quite a strong uh, contingent of, of Thais, people from Thailand. Is that right? Yeah, it's actually true. Um, the Thai uh, group here is always either the second or third largest uh, nationality, at least in Longyearbyen. Uh, they kind of compete for that second place with the Swedes. <laughs> but it is a very international town, and that's partly to do with the Svalbard Treaty, uh, which was signed and gave sovereignty of the islands to Norway, mm -hmm. but also allows for people from other nations to have the same rights as Norwegians when living and working here. Okay, I see. All right, I get it. And I believe the population is quite young. You don't generally uh, retire and uh, live the latter part of your life in, in where you are at the moment. No, I mean, Longyearbyen isn't exactly uh, a place where you have the services you might need uh, when you're getting on a little. Um, we've only got a sort of emergency hospital. There's no uh, nursing homes or special services for people that need extra help. Uh, so most people do leave after they're sort of finished with their career or their working life. Um, it's also, again, part of that Svalbard Treaty means that while you do have the same rights as a Norwegian, you have to be able to afford to be here. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can actually be turfed off the island uh, by the police if you can't afford to live here. Oh, okay. uh, and if you need special help or services, you will be sort of asked to move to the mainland. <laughs> now, uh, the, being that far north, obviously, uh, we're talking uh, kind of a winter climate. But realistically, how cold does it get? To be honest, uh, Longyearbyen, at least the west coast of Spitsbergen and Svalbard, isn't that cold. I mean, it's going to sound cold for everyone back at home. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Compared to other parts of uh, the sort of uh, Arctic regions, we're quite lucky because of the Gulf Stream. Mm -hmm. uh, so the Gulf Stream comes up along the coast of Norway and then uh, comes along the west coast of Spitsbergen on its way north. And uh, that actually gives us quite a livable climate. Um, normally in winter, it's down to about minus 10, minus 15, mm -hmm. uh, but not often under that. Uh, okay. Whereas, you know, in the inland areas like Lapland in Sweden and uh, Finland, they're quite commonly getting down to sort of under minus 30, which sounds absolutely insane even for yeah. me living up here. <laughs> uh, so we're quite lucky in terms of that. Let's hope the Gulf Stream uh, keeps us nice and warm in the future as well. <laughs> now, Svalbard's famous for, for a few things. Uh, probably the, the, the first one, if we think historically, probably was all around coal, and that's what was kind of the pioneering of that, 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 that region. Of course, you've got the polar bears. And more modern in today's time, prior to COVID, tourism was a really big component of, of life on Svalbard. Um, but before we get into all of that and what tourists would do in Svalbard, how did you find yourself in Longyearbyen? Completely by accident, uh, to be <laughs> honest, Baz. Um, I was uh, taking EF after uni. I was doing a bit of backpacking. And eventually, long story short, was uh, celebrating Christmas with some friends in Trondheim, uh, which is sort of in the middle of Norway. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, they had basically promised me a white Christmas. Uh, anyone that's listening from Australia and particularly Perth knows that we're more likely to get a Christmas over 40 degrees than anything yeah. else. <laughs> and that sort of... Christmas card perfect image uh, was what I was really after. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, a few days before Christmas, 
all of the snow melted. There was a big uh, rainstorm. So I wasn't super happy. Uh, And eventually my friends got a bit sick of me complaining about that and said, look, if you want to see a lot of snow, you should just go to Svalbard. (laughs) This was in January in 2008. Uh, And uh, let's just say it was before, you know, I as a backpacking uh, Australian had a mobile phone where I could go in and Google things straight away. So Mm -hmm. it was sort of go home, look this up. I'd never heard of Svalbard before and looked it up and I'm like, oh my God, there's this archipelago that's full of glaciers, mountains, snow, polar bears, walrus. This is amazing. I have to see this before I head back to Australia. Uh, (laughs) So I flew up in January. Uh, Obviously didn't research it quite well enough because I was quite surprised that it was dark uh, when I arrived (laughs) in the early afternoon. Uh, Even more surprised when it was dark through the entire next day (laughs) and the day after. But that's what you get for coming, uh, yeah, for being only 1300 Ks from the North Pole. You actually yeah. get this full polar night uh, for about 10 weeks of the year where it doesn't actually get any lighter during the day and the night. But after that, when you start getting into February, it gets lighter and lighter every day. And then the sun pops over the horizon in the middle of February mm-hmm. and then you're in love. I mean, the colors, the landscapes, uh, the people up here, because there's very few people here that have born, been born here or grown up here, lived here their whole life. Pretty much everyone's chosen to move here, whether it's for work, experience, school, university, something has brought them here. So everyone is here by choice, which really creates such an exciting, positive community to live in as well. Brilliant. Love it. Now we'll get into the temperatures and when people, sorry, the seasons when people uh, should visit. Um, but uh, just... We're recording this early November. It's a beautiful spring day down here in Perth. What What's the weather like in, in Svalbard today? Uh, but it's uh, our first big winter storm, actually. Uh, so walking to work today was a bit of a trial. Had to find my ski goggles and uh, <laughs> all my winter <laughs> gear. Uh, it's basically a full-on blizzard. It's about minus seven, but with a fairly substantial wind chill factor out there. Uh, so it was a bit of a contrast. I see you're looking at a, about 24 degrees in Perth. Yeah. Um, we're, yeah, minus seven and uh, and a snowstorm. So it's a bit different. <laughs> I love it, though. I love the thought of it. Um, now, of course, you work for a very famous Norwegian brand. Herty Rutten is famous for the coastal route, which is, of course, the or the fast route going along the, 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 the coastline of Norway there. Um, but your role is very much about promoting Svalbard as a destination. Today, we're here to talk about you know how people can get there, what they can do, whether they're visiting by a cruise ship or choosing to stay that little bit longer. Um, but before we get into that, I just wanted to uh, get, a, get a feel on what what it was like during COVID. Obviously, tourism closed down globally, but was Svalbard drastically different? Um, you see, tourism is very seasonal, but what was life like there during COVID? Well, COVID uh, actually sort of hit us right in the start of what was going to be a very, very busy high uh, winter season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, in the middle of March there, Norway closed down, uh, and it was absolutely crazy. We went from having completely full hotels dog sleds everywhere, snowmobiles heading out into the wilderness to just nothing. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of an incredible shift because it actually happened just at the beginning of what is normally our busiest time of year in March, April. Yeah. Um, The government, of course, put sanctions both in terms of people getting into Norway at all, but also between Norway and Svalbard. And that's partly to do with the fact that we only have this emergency hospital. Uh, They only have two sort of ICU rooms at the hospital, so they weren't in any way prepared 
uh, for an influx sure. of, uh, of sick people. Uh, so they actually first set a quarantine. If you came up to Svalbard, you had to do 14 days uh, of quarantine locked in a room. Uh, and then after a while, uh, in sort of last, well, in the summer of, of 2020, in the middle of June, uh, they then took that away for a short period, about three or four months. Uh, then again, they started making it very difficult for people to travel from uh, the mainland up to Svalbard. You had to have a test uh, taken in the 24 hours before you traveled, okay. which many people found difficult anyway to get a test and a result uh, yeah. within the right time. So then we were effectively closed down again. And, and that basically continued into this year, of course, once vaccinations started becoming much more common, they did open for vaccinated people to travel without testing. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, that's been a theme in Europe generally uh, the last few months that if you have a full vaccination certificate and it's a sort of uh, online certificate accepted by the EU, uh, then Norway will also accept that and you're allowed to travel more or less freely. Um, so it has sort of uh, opened up a little bit now. Uh, of course, we've had more Norwegian guests here than normal in September, October. Basically, especially sort of company groups that are looking to do something with their team that have all been sort of in lockdown and home office for such a long time. Yeah. Uh, not ready to make that sort of step of taking everyone overseas, but could take them to something unique and special up here in, in the polar regions instead. Mm -hmm. So it's slowly building back to normal. Of course, we're missing uh, being able to have people here from the more far-flung destinations. Yeah. Uh, tourism, of course, as you know, from Australia, uh, from Oceania and Asia, from the States and so forth is very difficult mm -hmm. uh, at the moment in terms of the regulations for travel. Uh, but we are seeing a bit of a pickup uh, now in the closer markets uh, with Scandinavians and, and other Europeans coming up to Svalbard now that they're able to travel. Is there a sense of excitement? Is there a sense that you're turning the corner and things are just going to not explode, but things are going to pick up dr dramatically pretty soon? It does feel that way. And we are looking at some pretty good bookings for next year. Uh, I was actually in London meeting some of the tour operators just a couple of weeks ago. And there, I think they're sort of waiting to see if there's going to be another round of restrictions. Of course, right. Brexit yeah. hasn't made things easier for, for the Brits in yeah. terms of travel into Europe. Uh, and they're a bit worried that with their case numbers, things might be made difficult for them once again. Uh, but in the rest of Europe, there's definitely a sense of optimism about possibility and, and people are booking uh, both, you know, really short term. We're sitting with people ringing us that want to come up next weekend, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but also into next year and next summer. So it's great to see that we're starting to see some build on that again. That's brilliant news. Now I'm, I'm excited for you and equally excited that hopefully soon we uh, too from the West, from Western Australia will be able to travel as well. Uh, I've been to Norway. I haven't been to Svalbard, but uh, it's definitely on my list to, to get up and uh, see you and see the delights of, of Svalbard. But let's talk about Longyearbyen and the, the kind of the, the town centre, for one of a better word. You know, for somebody that's trying to visualise it, if you were to walk from one side to the other, how long is it going to take? What kind of things will they see in the, the centre at all? Absolutely. Longyearbyen is a really compact uh, town, as there were about 2,400 people living here at the moment. Uh, and the town's located in a little valley between these sort of 500 metre high mountains. Mm. Um, it's all very close, also due to the weather and the fact that we have polar bears uh, on the island. So we like to have quite a clear cut definition of what is in town and what is the wilderness. Yep. Uh, but also in terms of the general sort of services like water and sewerage and heating 
Uh, it makes sense to keep the town quite close together. Mm. Of course, we have permafrost here, which means the ground is frozen. Uh, yeah, if you dig down more than a meter, you won't, you'll find completely frozen ground. So yep. things like pipes and that kind of thing need to be kept above ground, which also then causes you know, their own issues with that. Yeah. Uh, so town is very compact. It's really easy to walk around and walk through um, what they call sort of the town uh, round, like the walk around. Uh, the town is about six kilometers okay. and that will take you basically to everything. Um, the town itself is about two and a half kilometers long uh, and about maybe yeah a kilometer wide. So it's not a very big area. <laughs> uh, but you what most people get surprised about is is what we actually do have. Uh, here in uh, Svalbard uh, and the uh, Longyearbyen is quite unique because normally in a town of 2,400 people whether we're talking about you know a town in WA or in the countryside <laughs> of any other country you would find that that town wouldn't have so many services because people yeah. would be driving to the next bigger town to say go to the cinema or um, yeah. go to a specialist shop. Uh, Svalbard well basically here you you know the nearest town with those kind of services would be Tromsø, uh, which is a 90 minute flight. Yep. So we actually have a lot of things people don't expect uh, in terms of the shops, services, cafes, restaurants, um, hotels, of course, the cinema, cultural uh, center and, and these kind of things. So a lot of people are quite surprised when they get here to find so many amenities and, and things to do uh, in a little town like this. And then in the exact contrast, there's also something known as the Arctic Ghost Town. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Pyramiden uh, to the north of us uh, is a fascinating place. Originally a Swedish mining town, but was taken over by uh, the Soviets, and they ran it until 1998, at which oh. point they basically just shut down and uh, flew everyone out. And this is such an amazing place to visit uh, because you can with a local guide there, wander around, hear the story of the place, go into some of the buildings and, and really sort of marvel at this town that used to be home to about 1,500 people uh, that is now yeah, completely empty. Uh, wow, it's quite fascinating okay. to go through sort of the school there and they've still got some of the kids' books open on the tables or um, even visiting the indoor swimming pool, uh, <laughs> which actually back in the day was very popular with the Longyearbyen locals uh, because oh, okay. the pool in Pyramiden was built well before the pool in Longyearbyen, actually. So we used <laughs> to go there on a day trip in order to go swimming. <laughs> and then kind of the, the, the other obvious thing is the, the wilderness and the wildlife, which there's just, you know, so much to, to, to see and do. Um, given that, it, you know, it is so different in, in summer and winter, um, kind of what wildlife can people expect to visit beyond... Um, the, the beautiful polar bear, which we've already mentioned. Look, um, it is it does change, of course, a lot throughout the year. Uh, we do have a lot of migratory birds coming here during the summer, for example. Um, but basically, I mean, the thing is, first of all, because the towns here are so compact, uh, the one thing that is great here is that when you're going out to see wildlife, whether it's on a boat or on a snowmobile or by foot, uh, what you're going to be doing is seeing the wildlife and the wilderness completely as it should be. Uh, there's no big bus groups or tours going out to take you to things. Uh, everything is done in small groups, especially by the local operators. Um, the animals that are here throughout the year, there's not many. Uh, we've already mentioned the, the polar bear and they are here all year round. Uh, a common uh, mistake is that polar bears actually don't hibernate. Uh, ah. So people that think that they are uh, hibernating in the winter are, are very mistaken. The female bears do actually 
make like a snow cave uh, yeah. if they're pregnant to have their their I think they call, yeah they're still cubs aren't they yeah cubs in but the male polar bears are still around all year round uh, wow. apart from that you have of course the Arctic fox uh, these are gorgeous little uh, cheeky creatures you see them around the town as well uh, <laughs> in the winter they have this great fluffy white uh, fur which is just uh, gorgeous and you often see them running around in the mountainsides or searching around in the snow for food that they buried during the summer <laughs> according to the researchers they often don't remember where they hid things so it becomes oh, quite really? an interesting trip for them <laughs> of course in addition to those you have the Svalbard reindeer uh, and the Svalbard reindeer are their own sort of uh, type of reindeer for people that might have seen reindeer in northern Norway for example these are very different oh, wow. uh, the Svalbard reindeer have sort of adapted to uh, the conditions that we have on Svalbard uh, so they are sort of well, let's say that some of our friends from the mainland like to be a little bit mean about them and call them Svalbard pigs. <laughs> They've got okay. shorter legs. They're quite stout. Uh, <laughs> but they've really sort of developed to, to survive in the conditions that we have here during the whole year. Uh, and uh, they're completely uh, wild. There's no one owning or herding reindeer up here. Mm. And they also essentially have no predators. Uh, so you can see them wandering through town. It's actually the one thing that will cause a traffic jam here in Longyearbyen <laughs> is a reindeer just slowly plodding along the road. Um, you see them out of town. And uh, at the moment, I, I just saw someone had put out some pictures just the other day of uh, one of them walking around with, uh, with a little calf, uh, which was just super cute. Um, mm. But they are basically around the entire island, uh, but especially in the valleys where you have... Uh, this sort of tundra climate yeah. and they uh, live mostly on things like the moss and grasses uh, that grow there. So they uh, spend most of this time of year until this first winter storm, basically constantly eating in order to fatten themselves up for the winter. Yeah. Uh, finally, we do have one bird which they believe stays on Svalbard throughout the whole year. Uh, that is the Svalbard ptarmigan or Svalbard grouse. Um, again, uh, slightly different to versions of this sort of rock ptarmigan that you could find in other parts of the world mm. uh, and survives up here in Svalbard by being amazingly um, good at camouflage basically uh, with their white winter plumage or their very sort of speckled um, summer plumage they're able to blend into the landscape here completely uh, again not a lot of predators of course the foxes do uh, would try to get them but they're able normally to fly away uh, so they are also quite tame and can be seen throughout the town and other areas. Oh, okay. Once we start to get to the summer, though, um, we do get a number of different migratory birds, uh, both sort of seabirds, but also uh, waterfowl uh, coming up in the summers. Oh. Um, of course, the eider ducks, uh, barnacle geese, pink-footed geese, and these kind of things are the ones most people will notice immediately because they're normally in such big groups. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's also, I, mean, I think there's about 100 different migratory birds that come here. So uh, I have had some friends that are much more interested in birding than me that have been able to tell me some of the amazing uh, ones that are found here. But, uh, <laughs> for example, the Norwegian Polar Institute website could give you a great list if anyone is specifically interested there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So while those geese and ducks normally spend their time in the valleys, you do also have the, the sort of uh, seabirds that nest in the cliffs. Yep. Uh, which is quite an amazing experience in itself to be sort of 
sailing under one of these massive sort of 500 meter tall cliffs with just birds nesting in it and flying all over the place. And of my favorite of those is of course the puffins uh, with their very mm. colorful beaks. Yeah. And finally, we do get one songbird uh, that normally turns up in the uh, spring. Uh, that is the snow bunting. Uh, when they turn up normally around the middle of April, it's sort of a happy sign, all oh, the spring is coming and so forth. But of course, during that whole period from the middle of April to the middle of August, we're under the midnight sun uh, yeah. and the birds don't have any sort of internal clock. So by the time you get out to August, uh, you're sort of cursing <laughs> those songbirds <laughs> for keeping you awake all night. We're never completely happy, right? <laughs> <laughs> so let's flip to the opposite season, which is also very important for you, which is, of course, uh, the opportunity to see the northern lights. And I remember back when I first met you, you had a brilliant explanation. For anybody that doesn't understand what the northern lights are, explain. I, I forget your definition, but you were brilliant at it. Go for it. Ooh, and I have to try and remember what I said to you, Baz. But <laughs> the Northern Lights are something that is, is, is really quite a surreal experience. And no matter how many times you see it, it's always different. There's always something else happening with it. Uh, but basically what happens with the Northern Lights is that the sun is sort of uh, sending off energy. If there's like a solar flare, we get a little bit extra of that. And when it comes sort of hurtling towards the Earth, it's attracted by the poles, mm. uh, so the North and South Pole. Uh, which is why, of course, I saw actually some great pictures of the aurora down in Tasmania uh, yeah. over the weekend when there was uh, this result from this big uh, solar flare late last week. Um, and basically it gets sort of pulled into those poles and settles around those, normally in a sort of oval formation. Mm -hmm. um, what happens with that is that you have the side that is on the sort of light side of the sun, uh, so this, the, the, the sort of side of the earth which is more pointed towards the sun and uh, normally being a lighter effect and then the sort of rebound effect on the darker side mm -hmm. uh, and what we have here in Svalbard from basically uh, uh, the middle of November when we're in this full polar night is the opportunity to see both this sort of day side aurora and uh, the night side aurora uh, throughout the whole day because the aurora is actually there or can be there at any time of year, any time of day. But of course, the human eye can't see it yeah, yeah, sure. uh, when it's light out. So it makes um, quite a spectacular thing to come here during that period when it's completely dark, both because you're experiencing something you can't experience any other inhabited place in the world. Uh, but in addition, uh, the fact that you really increase your opportunities of, of seeing the Northern Lights by increasing basically the number of hours when they're available to you. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a fascinating thing and the colours of the Northern Lights are all depending on what kind of atoms in the atmosphere they're exciting uh, at different levels one of the most fascinating sort of phenomena uh, that we see up here to be honest Yeah I was very lucky to see them multiple times on the, the coastal cruise that I did quite a few years ago now and I have to be honest the first time I saw them which was obviously quite south in the journey um, I was like oh is that it like I expected more but every day it got better and better to the point where the whole sky was just dancing and it was incredible to to see it um, but you're going to be a little bit biased to know but where do you think is the better place or is there a better place to see it would it be Svalbard or would it be on the back on the mainland somewhere oh it really depends um, of course you've got several things that have to work uh, for you in yeah. order to to see the northern lights um, you need it to be dark enough as number one Yep. Uh, so, of course, we're, if you're in a place where you've got more hours of darkness, uh, you're going to have a higher chance. 
you also need the sun to cooperate and send you enough of that sort of energy to, to set the <laughs> atoms in the atmosphere uh, into that excited state. And then you also want to sort of reduce uh, things that could affect your experience. So, for example, you want to be away from the lights of towns. Uh, that kind of light pollution can make it harder for your eye to see. And while some of the most spectacular northern lights I've seen has been when there has been a full moon in the sky as well, that does also um, mean that you need it to be really strong in order to have a fantastic viewing of the lights because that, again, uh, yeah. the reflected light in the snow and everything else will affect it. So basically, um, it just depends. Uh, <laughs> in order to have, uh, there's, there's no one great answer for that. You know, Basically, you need to be somewhere where you can get all of these three things to happen for you. Uh, the darkness, lack of light pollution, and uh, the sun uh, being on your side. And, of course, you need some uh, clear weather. Um, yeah. Here, for example, on Saturday, we could see from the Northern Lights camera that it was completely green in the sky through the clouds. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a bit unfortunate with that cloud coverage exactly on that day. Right. So right with you. it depends. Of course, it also depends how you want to experience them, what kind of activities you want to do. Here on Svalbard, we only have about 40 k's of road. So we don't uh, do a lot of these sort of bus trips where you just go out or car trips, going out, hoping to see the lights, driving around, that kind of thing. Yep. Here we combine every Northern Lights activity with an activity in itself. So yep. whether it's dog sledding, snowmobiling, snowshoeing, having dinner in a cabin, these kind of things, it's always an experience in addition uh, to that. And again, because Longyearbyen in the town itself is so compact, the light pollution of the town is very sort of centralized there. As soon as you get a little bit out of town, uh, that isn't something you have to contend with anymore. Brilliant. I love it. And I would definitely like to, to see them again. Um, we're going to get into some of the activities that you can do um, in Svalbard. Uh, but before we do so, you talked a little bit or hinted a little bit there at some boat trips and things. In fact, let's leave that for just a second. Let's first of all tell people how, number one, how they can get to Svalbard and what are the, the popular times or the popular seasons to visit. Absolutely. So the vast majority of people that come to Svalbard throughout the year fly to Svalbard. Uh, and there are scheduled flights from both Oslo and Tromsø uh, in Norway, uh, meaning that you can combine with either the capital city, Oslo, or sort of the what they call the Paris of the North, uh, Tromsø, uh, <laughs> that beautiful little Arctic city. And, and by combining with that, of course, especially if you're coming from uh, further afield, that gives you a great way to sort of build up your trip and combine yeah. different areas. During the summer, of course, there are other options for coming to Svalbard. Uh, you can come by cruise ship. Uh, currently, you have uh, some of the larger cruise ships doing, for example, the Norwegian coast in combination with Svalbard, mm -hmm. uh, maybe starting from uh, Amsterdam or Kiel or, or, or Dover, uh, even, I believe, uh, mm -hmm. now. And then thirdly, you also have the expedition cruising. Uh, most of the expedition cruise ships will involve you flying up to Svalbard and doing a turnaround here. So you would, you know, come in, maybe spend a couple of days in Longyearbyen and then join your ship and then also complete your expedition cruise in Longyearbyen before yeah. flying down. But there is um, sort of a few, uh, a few trips when they're repositioning, when you could also sail up to Svalbard and then be amongst the few that get to see the fantastic uh, Björnöje or Bear Island. Uh, which is oh. located in the middle of Svalbard, uh, but well, between Svalbard and Tromsø. Right. Interesting. So many options. Now, we'll, we'll get onto those activities. And what I wanted to mention was that um, I saw some posts on Facebook about this beautiful new hybrid um, catamaran that you have. 
And it, I think it's just one of the first things that you, not, not only that Svalbard does, but Norway's very environmentally focused uh, and doing the right thing. And uh, this incredible new vessel that you've got. And I believe also some new um, skadoos, which have uh, got hybrid technology in them as well, make sure that people do uh, tread as lightly as they possibly can. Absolutely. And and we do here on Svalbard try to work hard to, to reduce our environmental policy, um, sorry, footprint. Uh, the policies that we have are to sort of continuously reduce on that and improve our environmentally friendly focuses. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we started first with those electric snowmobiles, the first company in Scandinavia to run fully electric snowmobiles. Wow. And of course, the first thing people said to us, well, you can't really say they're that environmentally friendly since Longyearbyen uh, runs on a coal-fired power station (laughs) but what we did instead was we put up um, a sort of wind turbine a small one uh, and and solar panels uh, to charge batteries to charge these from and uh, before any of our uh, bird friendly friends think about that turbine the turbine is actually built so that as soon as the sun is up and we're over onto the solar panels the turbine can actually be folded down before the migratory birds arrive on Svalbard so it's not going to be an issue for them either. Right. Those trips are great. Of course, currently the battery capacity means we can only use them for sort of half day trips, but we are really hoping to be able to build on that going ahead. And the next one, as you mentioned, Baz, is our fantastic uh, new product, which we started with this year, the hydroelectric catamaran MS Bard. Fantastic ship. It's actually 50% of the ship is already made from recycled aluminium. Oh, wow. uh, and it is hybrid technology in order to both reduce uh, the use of fossil fuels and other things, but also by using the hybrid, they can take, um, even when they are running on the, the diesel motor, they actually use the hybrid motor to take the tops off that so they're able to control the amount of diesel they're using through the trip as well. Right. Once you do get to an area with wildlife, maybe there's whales in the water, or if you're approaching one of the glaciers, they can go over to full electric power. Mm-hmm. And it's just absolutely amazing. You're sitting in this ship, which is basically all panoramic glass windows around you you've got the glacier outside you can hear the little bubbles in that glacier ice popping and crackling around you in the water or (laughs) listen to the whales breathing next to the boat it's truly fascinating and amazing experience i'm so happy that we've been able to add that product yeah, sounds it does look incredible. I encourage anybody to, to find the, the Facebook page and have a look at that. In fact, we'll have the links to that, and of course, in the show notes as well. Now, if people are visiting just you know for, for a day trip or for a short activity by maybe a cruise ship, um, what would you recommend they consider doing for their, for their short time that they'll be in Svalbard? So there's a heap of options uh, for guests on the ships, and, and we do actually work closely with a number of the cruise lines to make sure they are offering a nice wide range of activities uh, in Longyearbyen uh, from many of the local operators and also the small family-owned operators as well. Uh, One thing I will say is do take a trip into town, uh, do have a coffee or visit the shops or buy a souvenir because people in town do love to see uh, people coming in and and, and have a chat to them about where they're from and what they're doing. But in terms of tours, uh, well, it really depends on your interest. Of course, there are the small boat tours going to the bird cliffs. Of course, if you come in on a rather large ship, that gives you the opportunity to get much closer uh, to what you might see uh, than, than from sort of the deck of the larger ship. Um, you can go hiking either in the mountains or in the tundra. Uh, there is kayaking. Dog sledding on wheels is actually really good fun uh, mm-hmm. in these small wagons that you get to drive yourself, uh, always also including a, a, a visit in to see the, the little puppies. Husky puppies are just so cute. Um, 
oh, what else? A sightseeing. I mean, the museum here in uh, Longyearbyen actually won uh, the sort of Council of Europe prize after it opened for being one of the best museums in Europe. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's a great sort of open, modern museum, either if you go through there by yourself or with a guide. Uh, it's a great way to learn a lot about the area. There's also uh, opportunities for things like going and having a, a stop in at a wilderness camp and learning a little bit about the discovery of Svalbard and the polar bears out there. Uh, of course, we're never guaranteeing that you see any polar bears here. They are completely protected uh, by the Svalbard environmental laws. Uh, but at least you can learn a little bit about them and, and how they live on Svalbard and, and, and how they've been protected as well. Uh, and of course, finally, those trips uh, with the MS Bard uh, dependent on the length of your call. Uh, yep. Some of them will also have the opportunity to offer tours with that ship, uh, perhaps visiting Barentsburg, the other running Russian town, uh, or the ghost town of Pyramiden. Uh, and there's also often opportunities for glacier safaris uh, as well with both that and smaller ships. Oh, they're literally just going to touch the, the iceberg, as it were, because there is literally so much to see and do whilst you're there. But of course, we can encourage people to stay a little bit longer because, believe it or not, you have three hotels. Yeah, and actually, one thing that's happened the last few years that we've been able to continue with uh, during the uh, COVID period is that uh, we have actually renovated the hotels, which has been really great fun to be a sort of change from what they were like when they were sort of the first hotels built up here. <laughs> to being a little bit more modern uh, and, and comfortable and, and providing both an authentic local experience, but also that level of service that you might expect uh, at the hotel. Uh, so you have places like Funken Lodge, which is a gorgeous uh, premium boutique hotel, fantastic restaurant. Baz, when you come up, we're going to go there and eat king crab, just Ooh, saying. Sounds good. Um, mm, delicious. Uh, and then you also have a sort of uh, the Radisson Hotel, quite central in town, great for families, given the location just sort of between the shops and uh, and the museum. Sorry, I'm just watching someone really trying to get through the snow outside, which is now knee deep. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, don't get distracted, <laughs> but it's amazing weather out there. Um, and, and then, of course, there are simple accommodation options like the coal miners' cabins where you can stay in the old cabins that the miners themselves used to live in. Uh -huh. uh, so there's a whole variety of different places to stay. As we've said before, it's so many different tours. So it's well worth uh, spending a few days on Svalbard if you can uh, to really get to know the local area, the people, and, uh, and to experience some of these activities. So if people are staying for that little bit longer, obviously they can combine any of those shorter day tours, I guess. But is there anything when they're there that little bit longer that allows them to get really out into the, the further wilderness? Is there any remote lodges or anything that they can go and stay overnight at? Yeah, look, uh, uh, if you're staying, especially in the winter, it's quite easy to get around on land by snowmobile or by ski. Uh, so on the snowmobiling trips, what you can actually do is, is really head out for a few days, maybe stay even overnight in Pyramiden, in the ghost town up in the north. Uh, you can stay at this lovely cabin called the Yuva Cabin, max 10 people in the middle of the wilderness just sort of really soak in being out there in the wild. And you can also stay overnight in uh, Barentsburg or even at uh, Iceyard Radio, uh, which is a really isolated little hotel out in the wilderness as well. Oh, wow. Of course, that gives the opportunity to see more areas, you know, maybe explore some more of the glaciers um, and spend more time out in the wilderness, which will, of course, then also increase your chances of seeing the wildlife. There's also sort of two and three day trips with dog sled. And for anyone that's done a little bit of cross-country skiing, 
fantastic way to explore Svalbard, uh, generally under the midnight sun. Uh, so most of those skiing expeditions go in late April, early May, yep. uh, when we still have full winter here, but midnight sun, so you're not sort of stressed about getting to your campsite before dark or, yep, yep. or that kind of thing either. Uh, in the summer, you do, of course, have the possibility of going to different towns, visiting different areas uh, by boat. Um, we do also do some kayaking expeditions where you can spend several days out kayaking and tenting, uh, hiking expeditions and so forth. Uh, personally, I think it's always quite fun to take a night in Pyramiden and sort of uh, get to explore the ghost town uh, without the group, you know, when you're only <laughs> just a few people there, really yeah. feel that uh, local area. And when you do stay in Pyramiden a, a bit longer, you can also get one of the local guides to let you into even more of the buildings oh. uh, and, and see more than anybody on just a quick day trip would experience as well. Mm. Oh, it just gets more and more interesting the more we talk about it. Um, is there any particular tips that you need to give anybody that's going there for the first time? Is there a packing tip? Is there something that they need to know, something quirky that they uh, they need to jot down before they uh, head up and see you? Oh, good one. Um, look, depending on where you're coming from, one thing to be aware of is that Svalbard is outside of the Schengen area. Uh, so you will always need to show your passport when leaving the mainland of Norway and coming into Svalbard. Uh, so for people that are in an area, we actually have to apply for a Schengen visa. Uh, so this won't affect our Australian friends, Baz, or, or yep. people from Europe. Um, but if you are from a country where you have to apply for a Schengen visa, you actually have to be sure to apply for a two-entry visa. Right. Uh, because you will use your first entry on the way here and then need another one on the way back. Right. So that's the technical one. The other one is, even if you know you're going on snow activities, if you're coming after the middle of February, bring your sunglasses. In that spring period, it is, I mean, the, the sun on the snow is really bright. And we get a lot of people are just like, oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> uh, so basically sort of if you're coming between yeah, mid-February and, and uh, the end of September, sunglasses, <laughs> number one. Also, <laughs> it's really dry here, um, which also affects the fact we don't really feel it as being as cold as it might be otherwise. Uh, so do remember to cover up, even if you don't feel that cold, hands, uh, heads, you know, that kind of thing, because um, the air will really suck the, the moisture out of your skin. So always good, no matter what time of year, to invest in like a good sort of lip cure or lip balm and a cold cream, um, like a special cream to without water in it to sort of keep your skin, uh, yep. oh, it's like a barrier cream, I guess, against that kind of weather. Yep. Otherwise, of course, layers. Uh, the <laughs> weather can change really quickly here. Uh, so classic is to say, you know, don't just think that one big jacket is enough, especially if you're heading out of town. Uh, you want to be starting with your sort of woolen underwear, uh, fleece layers or woolen jumpers and that kind of thing and building it up so that you can always add or take off a layer when required, but not have to go from sort of super warm to super cold. For those of us from Australia, the one thing you will notice is that you'll be putting on those clothes and taking them off all the time because they keep the indoors of all the buildings really, really warm here. <laughs> so it's kind of the opposite for us that you come inside to cool down. Here you sort of come inside and it's 24 degrees inside after being 20, uh, 15 minus outside. Uh, so make sure your clothes are easy to put on and off as well. 
<laughs> Love it. Now we're going to finish off with a short, quick fire round. But before we do so, um, we always encourage people to go to their local travel agent uh, that can specialize. Uh, but you've got a great website with heaps of content. Where can they? F- I'll give the link in the show notes. But where can they find uh, more information about your company and uh, obviously the, the destination of Svalbard? So basically, I can definitely recommend our own website, which is hertigrutensvalbard.com. Uh, perhaps not the easiest name, but uh, it, uh, if you do try search on that or use the links that Baz will, will put up, that is a great resource, both in terms of the seasons, the accommodation activities and so forth. Uh, and you can also take a look at visitsvalbard.com, which is our local tourism uh, uh, group. Uh, it's a company that's run and owned by all of the other tourism, co- well, all of the tourism companies in Longyearby and us included. Uh, so they provide some great general information. Of course, anyone that's on Instagram, I would recommend following Hertarut and Swabad there just so you can Absolutely. follow the seasons and the pictures uh, and, and see what's happening at any time of year as well. Brilliant. Love it. Now let's get into this quick fire round. I haven't prepared you with any of these. Literally just whatever comes into your head. You don't have to give a reason for your choice. It is literally just a bit of fun. Um, Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Northern lights or midnight sun? Northern lights. If you could choose one experience that somebody must do when staying in the long urban, what would it be? Visit a glacier. In the Funken Bar after a busy day, it's my shout. What are you drinking? Gin and tonic. <laughs> Favourite activity or excursion? Snowmobiling. If you could choose, sorry, if you could travel anywhere tomorrow, where and why? Oh, Baz, that one is close to my heart. It would be, of course, home to Perth at the moment. I haven't been there for two years. <laughs> and that kind of leads into the next question as well. Other than loved ones, what one item do you miss most from Western Australia? Ooh, Western Australia specifically. I mean, because the obvious ones are Vegemite and, and Tim Tams, but um, <laughs> Western Australia especially, it would go back into some of the other things I've said. It's sunset over the beach. Fair enough. And I'm going to give you one last opportunity for a little plug there. One fast fact that nobody would know about Svalbard. There are over 53 different nationalities living here, despite the fact we're only about 3,000 people. Brilliant. Love it. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so, so much. been lovely to connect with you. I'm sure our listeners are going to love uh, joining this episode. Uh, we've got all the extra information in the show notes, but uh, if you ever want to come back, you're more than welcome. It's been great chatting to you today. It's been great to chat with you again, Baz, too, and I hope to see you both in Perth and up here in the new future. Sounds like a plan. Have a good day. You too. Take care. Again, just wanted to thank those of you that have supported us via Buy Me A Coffee. Um, if you're not familiar with that uh, system, it's a little bit like Patreon, where you can support your favorite YouTuber or artist. Um, we use Buy Me A Coffee, which is basically because we love coffee. Um, and in a nutshell, you can donate the cost of a coffee, about four Australian dollars, or multiple coffees if you prefer. Um, and in return, you receive priority access to all of the podcasts. So it doesn't matter where you listen to your podcast. If you support us via Buy Me A Coffee, you will receive an email every week um, just saying the new podcast is live and available. Here's the link, or listen to it in your favorite podcast. And uh, it gets to you about... 
12 to 24 hours before anybody else gets access to it. So it's a, a great little bonus there. And uh, once again, it's about four Aussie dollars. Um, one coffee, multiple coffees, you decide. But every little donation is greatly appreciated. And just a reminder, you can find the link uh, to Buy Me A Coffee in the show notes, on the website, and uh, also via the Buy Me A Coffee app. Thanks in advance. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.